Good morning. As Caleb said, my name is Dawn. I'm one of the ministers here. And I'm really excited to be able to continue in our series called On the Mend. Uh, we've been in this series for the last couple of weeks. And for those of you who are maybe new here, um, we've been just leaning into this idea that, that this past year has, has really challenged so many of our relationships our friendships, our family, our coworkers, and, and maybe even some of our hobby groups. Some might even say that some of our, maybe all of our relationships were impacted in one way or another. And so we want to continue that today. And um, I got to tell you, this past year, there were moments where I thought, you know what, this whole relationship thing is overrated. I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like, Maybe it's just easier to, you know, hide. And, and let me tell you, working in a church didn't make it any better. And so there were moments where I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to isolate. I'm going to be done with this. And interestingly enough, COVID, if it taught us anything, it taught us that isolation's not better. In fact, it's dangerous for us. It's detrimental to our, not only our emotional health, but even our physical health. And so isolation is not the answer. And now many of you might be saying, well, you know, I, I knew there were issues in my relationships. There's been things going on, but why was this past year so much worse? Why couldn't we just be nice and, and keep going? And, and Pastor Caleb last week actually did this great analogy uh, in which he was explaining that oftentimes, you know, just kind of like carpet, we, we have this beautiful, clean carpet. Well, not here in the middle, but beautiful, clean carpet. <laughs> and what he did was cut out this piece of the carpet to reveal that underneath is all these fractures. And I had just side note here, being in charge of operations for the last couple of years of this church, it kind of hurt my soul to see him cut our carpet up. But <laughs> we'll deal with that later. But But isn't that true? Like... Oftentimes, you know, people will hurt us or they'll say something. And we're like, ah, oh, that's, that's kind of annoying or frustrating, but you can kind of go on, right? But this past year, we couldn't. Why is that? Well, I believe it's because these fractures, even though they're there, when we pile on all of this other stuff, like, you know, pandemic and political unrest and racial reconciliation and, and hard conversations, we're worn down. It makes it really hard for us to continue just to cover it up and let it go. And so the fractures became huge. They became, became big. And so, as Caleb said earlier, um, I'm about to graduate from Fuller Seminary uh, with a marriage and family therapy degree. Not counseling, but therapy. Not that it matters. It's all the same. Um, but anyway... <laughs> It's been an amazing opportunity for me. Thank you for your generosity. I've had the opportunity to not only study human relationships and how they affect us, but also our relationship with God. And it's been an incredible opportunity. And we've got one of these, uh, we've got a professor there, Dr. Terry Hargrave, who actually he studies human relationships. Um, and he's written a couple books. And he actually has this to say, and I think this will be kind of helpful for us to understand this past year. There we go. I'm still learning the clicker. So he said, the common elements that tie all human relationships together are love and trustworthiness. 
goes on to say they are the food and water of the human soul that feed individual identity and provide a context for intimacy with others. Basically, what he says is it all comes down to love and trust. In our human relationships, we need love and trust. In fact, he says we're actually born seeking out love and trust in our relationships. He goes on to say they're like food and water for our soul. Like, think about that. Maybe you've seen pictures or maybe you've experienced yourself times when you didn't have access to food and water. It, you're, when you're deprived of food and water, you're, you're almost a shell of yourself. You're, it's hard to have life. It's hard to have energy, right? And Terry is saying, in our human relationships, love and trust are like food and water for us. And so you might be saying, okay, Don, you've, you've convinced me your degree tells me that I should want love and trust, and that's what I'm missing. So tell me, how do I tell my friends and family, my church members, my community, to give me more love and trust? Because, you know, it's their fault, not mine. And I've got good news for you, and I've got bad news for you. And I'm going to start with the bad, because I like to end on the good. So we're going to go with that. The bad news is, is that there is no human relationship that can give you perfect love and trust all the time. And even honestly, you can't either. So when you're feeling like your your relationship partner, whatever that looks like, is not giving you love and trust, most likely you're not giving it to them perfectly either. Think about it. Terry Hargrave says, we're born needing love and trust. And we, we search that out from uh, maybe our parents or our caregivers or authorities in our life, and they screw up. There's, all, there's times all of us can point back to when maybe we felt like we weren't loved or we felt like the person who was supposed to take care of us wasn't trustworthy. And then you've got two humans coming together with this background of, of love and trust being violated for them and they come together with two different stories, and we would expect that relationship to be perfect? We expect this person who is missing maybe some of that love and trust to, to perfectly love us, and the same from ourselves? To me, that's just illogical, right? You, you can't give perfect love and trust, and neither can any other human. So that's a lot of bad news, and I'm sorry. (laughs) But I do have good news. The good news is, is that God can give us perfect love and trust. And even more importantly, God wants to give us perfect love and trust. Literally, we see in Scripture, in John chapter 4, it says God is love. Not God will love, God can love, God wants to love, but God is is love. The definition of God is love. So we've got love covered. And then there's many verses in the Bible, but one of my favorite that that point to this idea of trust, Um, you might have seen it on a coffee mug or maybe on a t-shirt or something. It says, God will not, God will never leave us nor forsake us. God will never leave us or abandon us. 
And when I read that, I hear, I can trust God with who I am. Because God's not going to leave me. God's not going to abandon me. And God is God. God knows me. So God is all love and trustworthy. But I get it. I, I've, I've said, um, even in my own life, there's been moments where I'm like, this whole God thing is difficult. In fact, it's almost like this abstract idea. I mean, I, think about it. We, we call God uh, the great, the man upstairs, or we say my higher power, or we say the great man in the sky. And, th- and those aren't bad. I don't mean to say those are bad, but how do you have a relationship where you have love and trust coming back and forth with the great man in the sky? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. And so it's amazing because God is love and God loves us. God knows us. He's made a way. In scripture, it says the ultimate expression of God's love and trustworthiness is in Jesus. Amen. God in the flesh. And and God has provided scripture for us to see the stories of Jesus so that we have this tangible way to really put our hands on what does this mean to be in relationship with God and a God who provides perfect love and trust for us? For me, that's that's amazing. And so I want to, um, one more quick point is that I know I said earlier You know, as humans, we can't give perfect love and trust. So you might be saying, yeah, great. I'll be in this relationship with God, but, or with Jesus, but I, I can't give God perfect love and trust. So why, why would he stay in relationship with me? Why would he do that? That's ridiculous. And you're, and you're right. You can't perfectly love God. You can't perfectly be trustworthy towards God. But here's the cool thing. God doesn't need us to. God is complete without us. Whereas we are born searching for and needing love and trust from from the people in our lives and we're we're desperate for it, God is not. God has it all within himself. Remember, his definition is love. And so God doesn't need that from us, but yet he desires to still be in relationship with us. So God is complete. So I want to show you this in, in scripture. Um, it's throughout scripture, but there's this one story we want to kind of hone in on. Um, and it involves Peter, one of the followers of Jesus. And Peter is this am- amazing disciple, um, really strong faith. But I got to tell you, when, when I read about Peter, he, I hear him, I see him, I imagine him. He's just a little impulsive. And a hothead, honestly, is kind of how I picture him. And let me give you a couple examples. So just real quick, you see Peter's story all through the New Testament. And, and you see these little spots of Peter where he just shows kind of his personality. And there's this, the very first story of uh, where Jesus is actually calling him into ministry with him. Uh, and, and Peter is in his home area. He's fishing. That's his, his business. This is what he knows. Uh, what he loves, and and Peter, I'm sorry, and Jesus calls out to him, and does this uses this great one-liner. Honestly, he says, "Peter, follow me, and I'm going to make you fisher of humans." 
And Peter jumps in on that. He says, okay, let's go. Now, I had to tell you, you know, I don't know that if I saw this great leader come to me and say, I want to make you a fisher of humans, that I would jump on that. What do you think? That's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. But Peter's all in. And, and some would say, you know, that's amazing, strong faith. For me, that's a little bit impulsive, I got to tell you. Then there's this other story where uh, later on in their relationship where Peter is in, the, in a boat and he sees Jesus walking on the water, as Jesus does, walks on the water. And Peter, instead of doing what I would do, which is, what are you doing? Or, you know, get in the boat. Peter says, hey, Jesus, call me out there with you. To me, that's a bit impulsive, right? And so, but then, not to just pick on Peter too much, but Peter is one of the first disciples who recognized Jesus was the Messiah. An amazing, strong faith that Jesus was there to rescue and heal his community. But before we go into our story, I want to tell you one more more story. One of my favorites about Peter is... Jesus and Peter are uh, being approached by Roman soldiers, and and Jesus is about to be arrested by these Roman soldiers. And at that time, um, the Roman Empire was in charge, and what Jesus was saying uh, was a challenge to their authority. And so um, there was a lot of political unrest. And so they're, they're approached by this Roman soldier, and Jesus is being challenged and about to be arrested. And Peter in all of his wonderful personality, he whips out a sword and he chops off the ear of one of the soldiers. Like Jesus, the son of God is right there and he whips out a sword and he chops off the ear of one of the soldiers. Like that's messed up. And so that's my basis of him being a bit of a hothead. And there's others, but that's my favorite story of Peter. And so now let's let's get into our story for today. And we're going to find that in, in John 13. And it's, we can see where Jesus, or Peter, gets to experience Jesus' perfect love and trust. And so, just to uh, give you a little bit of background, uh, Jesus knows this, this is coming up where he's going to be arrested um, and even killed for, for what he is uh, speaking. And, but he's trying to tell the disciples, I'm going to come back. And so... Jesus is sitting with the disciples. Peter is there, and Simon or Peter's just a little confused. He's like, "Lord," Simon Peter said to him, "Where are you going?" And Jesus answered, "Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later." And Peter's like, "Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay my life down for you." And Jesus replies. Will you lay your life down for me? Because I truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Now hold on to that rooster. That's important later. But can you imagine how maybe Peter's feeling this time? He just told Jesus, I would lay my life down for you. And then Jesus comes back and says, no, you know what? Actually, you're going to reject me. And so I'm sure Peter's like a little off here. But then Jesus does this amazing thing. He goes on and says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Now, 
I don't know about you, but as a human, if I had this great insight that a good friend of mine was going to reject me, was going to hurt me, I would reject them first. They would no longer be in my friend group. I'd be done with them. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, trust in God and trust in me. And we know, actually, that, that Jesus keeps Peter close. Je- Peter stays in Jesus' inner circle because the story about the ear actually happens after this story. So Jesus loving and accepting Peter right, right where he's at, knowing what's going to come. I went too far. I knew I was going to do that. I'm still learning the clicker. So a couple chapters later, what Jesus predicts comes true. In John 18, we see uh, three different times where Peter is challenged. Do you, are, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? Aren't you part of Jesus' group? And, and Peter emphatically says, no, not me. I'm not part of that. And now I got to say, even though I've said Peter's impulsive and a bit of a hothead, I, I got to give him grace here because right now we're in, in this part of the story. We're in political upheaval. Jesus is being tried and convicted for treason. And, and if Peter says he's a follower, then it's possible that they're going to try and convict him for treason too. So I, I can't blame Peter for this. I would do the same thing. And so even though, you know, we can accept that this is where Peter's at, this interesting thing happens. I'm I'm sure Peter's all stressed and and confused and not sure what's coming up next. And then the rooster crows. Remember I said that was important. And I, I wonder if Peter, in that moment, remembered what Jesus said, and he felt the weight of what he had done the thing that he thought he could never do because he loved Jesus so much. And he realizes, oh, I rejected my friend. Can you imagine what Peter might be feeling right then? Shout it out to me. What do you think Peter might be feeling in that moment? Guilt, yes. Shame, yeah. Sadness, yeah. Maybe even a little bit like, I'm not worthy to be friends with Jesus anymore. That's heavy, right? And so then a couple chapters later, the other part of what Jesus predicts comes true. He, he is crucified. He does raise from the dead three days later. Uh, and he encounters the disciples a couple times. But we're going to focus in on this one conversation he has with uh, Peter. And this is, uh, Jesus is meeting Peter and the disciples in, uh, back in the fishing village. So Peter goes back to what he knows. Isn't that true of us as humans? Like when we're unsettled, when we're confused, when we don't know what's going on, we kind of go back to this place where we feel most comfortable. Or maybe we have control. We know, we know the rules, the ins and outs, right? And so Peter's back fishing And uh, Jesus comes up and he sits down to have breakfast with uh, the disciples. And Jesus kind of looks over at at Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus said. And then the second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter says. You know that I love you. Then shepherd my sheep, Jesus said. And then a third time, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, he was grieved that Jesus would ask him a third time that he, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, Jesus says. Now that's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? And I got to tell you, when I read that, my first response was to think, Jesus, go get him. Show him what he did. Make him feel bad for rejecting you. But then I started thinking, wait, Jesus is all perfectly love and trustworthy to accept us where we are. So something doesn't make sense. And there's actually a couple things that um, I started thinking about implying here that I actually learned from my Mending the Soul group. I've, I've been through Mending the Soul. It's one of our ministries here that helps people who um, heal from abuse. And so in my Mending the Soul group, I learned a couple things. One is that oftentimes we will apply to God what we think of and how we were treated by our caregivers or our parents or the authorities in our life. And so for me, I know when, uh, when I'm just really hurting and I'm really in pain, I start to apply how my dad treated me. So my dad was an absentee dad. He didn't want to be a parent. Uh, the, my brothers and sisters and I, we were nuisances. And so we learned really young to stay under the radar, to do everything just right as much as we could so that we didn't get his attention, we didn't get his wrath. And oftentimes I'll think about that with God when maybe I'm feeling bad that I've done something or I'm not sure what's going on. I'll just think, mm, I need to stay under the radar. God, just tell me what I need to do to fix this, to make this right so I don't get your wrath. So mending the soul helped me to learn, you know, God is not like my human father. That was life-changing for me. But then the other thing I learned in mending the soul was um, about forgiveness. I had been, been ta- either taught or maybe I perceived um, that forgiveness really meant to forgive my dad. I needed to forget about everything he did. I needed to pretend like everything was okay. I needed to act like everything was fine and, and, and not, have, not have any of those, uh, the feelings of just hurt and pain anymore. That was what forgiveness was. And in Mending the Soul, we read a book by Dr. Steve Tracy. He's a professor at Phoenix Seminary. And he talks about, in the Bible, there's actually three different types of forgiveness. And those types of forgiveness are judicial psychological and relational. And what I described earlier is called judicial forgiveness, where you, you forget whatever happened. Um, it's, it's called the, the pardoning of the shame. You won't carry that shame and guilt anymore. But this is what Dr. Tracy says. Only God can do that. It's not expected that humans would do that. In fact, we can't do that. Only God can give that kind of forgiveness. 
Humans go through psychological forgiveness, which is sometimes an inner dialogue, this personal experience where I realize, you know what, holding on to this unforgiveness is actually hurting me and hurting the other relationships in my life. And so I'm going to make a conscious decision to allow myself to release the right to get revenge for what happened to me. And I'm going to trust God with that person. That doesn't mean I forget. It doesn't mean I go back into a relationship with that person. It doesn't mean that um, it's all over and rosy. It's just a personal decision within me. And then there's relational forgiveness. And relational forgiveness is where both parties, or maybe even a community, come together and they, they talk about what happened. They, they explain the amount of pain that was caused. And they work together on what is reconciliation for the both parties. And, and actually, Pastor John is going to be here next week, and he's going to be talking more about that relational forgiveness. So I encourage you to come and hear what he has to say. It will be very valuable for your, your relationships. Okay, so back, back to our story of Peter. God offers, Jesus offers this judicial forgiveness. And that's powerful for Peter. And so this is why I don't, I don't think Jesus was necessarily out for revenge. Like that first reading of how I read it, it sounded like maybe Jesus was out to get Peter, wanted him to really pay for what he had done. Because God is all love, completely trustworthy, and provides judicial forgiveness. God is not like the humans in our life. And then there's a, there's a couple more things. So I was, I was thinking, then why, why did Jesus bring it up? Why would Jesus bring this up? I don't understand. If he had forgiven him, if he loves Peter and accepts Peter right where he's at. And I was actually talking this week to one of my really good friends. She's a pastor in New Mexico. And she said, you know, I think if I was in a relationship where I had done something really painful to my friend and my friend never brought it up, I might be wondering, is she holding a grudge? Are they going to bring it up later? I'd be in this relationship where there's this thing in the background that just keeps, keeps me in a disconnected place because I'm not sure of where I stand. And so my friend, she says, I wonder if Jesus brought it up for Peter. That's what Peter needed in order to be restored in the relationship. And so I think there's this quote I heard this week that really, I think, sums up kind of how I approach Scripture and how sometimes we can, we can put these human aspects on what's going on in Scripture. Um, some leaders and I were part of a two-day training this week for building the multi-ethnic church. It was amazing. It was super informative and helpful. Uh, but one of the speakers, Dr. Derwin Gray, had this to say. He said, know the story of God, otherwise we will create God within our story. Know the story of God, otherwise we will create God within our story. So what I was doing was creating God in my story. I'm, this is how people act in my life, right? So that must be how God acts. As we learn and, and know God's story, we learn that's not the case. It's different. So I'd like to go back and reread the story of um, that story with Peter and Jesus exchange from that perspective 
that God perfectly loves him. God is trustworthy to accept him right where he's at. That God provides judicial forgiveness. And Jesus is seeking to restore this relationship with Peter. So notice that Jesus waits until Peter is at his safe place. Peter's in this place that he understands and he knows and he's maybe a little bit more comfortable. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, and maybe he just whispers over to Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I imagine Peter, like we said earlier, maybe he's got all this shame and this guilt and this unworthiness, and maybe his head is down, and maybe his shoulders drop, because maybe he was struggling with this question too. Because what kind of friend who loves his friend that he would give his life up for him, would reject him at the time that Jesus needed him most. So maybe Peter had been struggling with this question himself. And then he answers. He says, yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Maybe Jesus is like, hmm, okay, let's try this again. So Jesus says a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter maybe sinks just a little bit lower. He's like, oh, we're, we're still talking about this. Maybe Jesus doesn't believe me. What do, and just, you've seen people who are just covered in shame and guilt. They're just drawn in and pulled down. And maybe Peter answers and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus is like, we're not done. You're not restored yet. And so a third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And maybe Peter, it says Peter is grieved. The next verse. And, and maybe he was finally allowing himself to fully sit in the weight of what he had done. This is, this is my marriage and family therapy degree coming out. Like, really sit in the weight of what's going on. We're not going to ignore it. We're not going to pass over it. We're just going to be there with it and really start to feel that. And maybe in feeling that, he remembers back to when Jesus is, was telling him that, that Peter was going to reject him. And, and maybe in that moment, he also remembers the next thing Jesus said. And Jesus says, don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. And maybe in that moment, Peter looks up and he takes a deep breath and he remembers. He says it a little bit differently. He says, Lord, you know everything. He remembers. Jesus knows everything. Jesus knew this was coming. And Jesus said, trust in me. And so maybe Peter sits up with confidence and says, you know that I love you. To me, that's beautiful. See how reading that from the perspective of who, who we know Jesus to be versus who I believe how humans treat me changes the story. Jesus' desire was to restore Peter in the relationship. And Jesus does this in an amazing way of showing, look, I still accept you. I still love you right where you are. 
And you can trust me to stay in relationship with you. I'm not going to reject you, no matter what you do. Because I know you're human, and you've been hurt. And of course, you're going to bring that brokenness to our relationship. But I've got you. And, and we see, we can tell that Peter is restored. Because later on in the New Testament, we go on to see Peter becomes what's called the cornerstone of the church. He's a leader of the apostles. But more importantly, he's a powerful voice for the love and trustworthiness of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. And so even though, even though he had gone through this experience, he, he knows that Jesus loves him and trusts him and is trustworthy. But I got to tell you, you'll read more of these stories of Peter later on in the Old Testament, and he's still impulsive. He's still a hothead. This didn't make him perfect. But you know what it did? It gave him the freedom to be able to repair and build healthy relationships with others because he knew he had perfect love and trust within his relationship with God. Let me say this in a way that we can apply it for us. We are designed to be in relationship with God and others. And it's because of our relationship with God that we can have a healthy relationship despite the brokenness and the pain we bring to the relationship. Let me say it one more time. We are designed to be in relationship with God and with others. And it's because of our perfect loving and trustworthy relationship with God that we can have healthy relationships despite the brokenness and the pain that we bring to the relationship. Now, in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to sing and to respond. And I encourage you as you're singing, or even if you're not singing, just to hold on to the truth that God loves you. God knows you, and God is trustworthy to keep his promises. Imagine, what would it be like if you can hold on to and absolutely believe in the truth that God loves you perfectly and is trustworthy? How might that change your human relationships if you don't need for them to provide that perfect love and trust? Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm constantly in awe of how you love me, how I see your love in this broken world, and how you are faithful to never leave me or abandon me. It's hard to make sense of it, but you are faithful. God, I pray for everyone in this room that they will know and accept your love. And then, God, I pray that as we go out of this room and we encounter others in our lives, that they can feel that love that we can provide because of our relationship with you. Because you are so good. God, this this last year has been hard. You know that. You see that. And I, I pray that you help us.
to see a way forward. I pray that we are able to provide something different to our family, our friends, our coworkers that maybe they don't see in this broken world. And we are able to glorify and love you in that way. Amen.